0: Thank you Jonathan and musicians and choir. It's good to see everybody here today. I know many of our folks are gathering now next door in the worship center so that we can uh, keep everybody distanced better in both rooms and a number of folks watching online. So we want to welcome everybody today. It's good to see your faces. It's good to be able to worship in person uh, as the body of Christ. Amen. It's uh, it's, a privilege and an honor that we have to be able to do so. As Kevin Knight mentioned, we do want to pray for the seniors and the college students who are working at Kinston at the uh, Kennedy Children's Home. We have a number of children's homes in the state of North Carolina, Baptist Children's Homes. And uh, Kennedy is one that Pitts became associated with quite a number of years ago, and each year they have us come and uh, work Primarily, uh, in addition to working with the kids, working in the kitchen with the food, food collections that come in from all over the state of North Carolina. And our Pitts folks organize the kitchen, the pantry, the freezers, refrigerators, so forth. So they've been involved in that project this weekend. And so pray for them as they will be returning uh, also, Kevin mentioned about myfaithvotes.org. I think probably many folks, many of you, maybe most of you have already voted by now, but if not, uh, that's an excellent website, and you can click on all the various candidates and their various positions on things are very well spelled out and detailed. And so we encourage you to do that, myfaithvotes.org, uh, and uh, take part. Uh, in the civic responsibility that we have uh, each election cycle in this nation. Of course, as we do so, we know that we're of a kingdom that's not of this world. Uh, We have a higher king, uh, king of kings and lord of lords. But that certainly does not mean that we uh, isolate ourselves or divorce ourselves from the world in which we live, trying to be salt and light. So we encourage everybody Uh, to do your responsibility and and vote. Uh, I want to ask you a question this morning as we continue going through our series on the book of Philippians. What's on your mind? Seriously. What's on your mind? Folks, as we read our text this morning and think of the message, think of this message and this passage. You know, as I was dwelling on this this week, Uh, the importance of these verses right here that we're going to cover today of what we're seeing in society today. The thoughts, the words, the actions of people that grow out of their thoughts. I can't think of any more important verses than These that we'll look at this morning related to society today. And I trust that you'll be able to see the same. Stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And again, the title, What's on Your Mind? Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Father, I pray as the body of Christ that we would not shift our minds into neutral and go with the tide of this age. And drift. And compromise our convictions on your word. Lord, I think of what the church historian uh, Kenneth Scott Letterette said on one occasion about the early church that they outthought their contemporaries. He said they outthought, they outlived, and they outdied their contemporaries. It's no wonder that they made such an impact as the new church. Father, I pray that we would give attention to our thought life because we know that the Bible says that it is out of a man's heart and mind that flow the very issues of his life. So when we talk about our thought life, we're talking about things that impact what we do. May we be a people of your word who meditate on it. And as Psalm 1 says, we will be like a tree planted by streams of water which will bear its fruit in season. Lord, on this Reformation weekend, I think of how Martin Luther indicated to his congregations that there was a great responsibility in hearing the message that hearing is not to be passive but we're to be engaged listeners may it be true of us today we pray these things in Jesus name amen if you lived in the culture of the first century especially the major cities of the Greco-Roman world where the gospel first penetrated here is some of what you could expect to see on a regular basis. Sexual immorality with temple virgins formed an integral part of pagan religious rites. Prostitution by both men and women was a well-recognized practice and institution. Slave girls often fell victim to this debauchery. To gain money, men would prostitute their wives and their children for the sake of monetary gain. Most of society accepted homosexual behavior. As we know from excavations at Pompeii, obscene pictures and and carvings often decorated the exterior walls of homes in the city. Not interior, exterior walls. Divorce was easy. It was frequent. In fact, divorce documents are among the most numerous of the papyrus. Fragments that we have today. Murder was common. Parents would often expose their infants to the elements abandoning them in the city forum or out on a hillside in the country or in a dark alley. They would simply abandon their children and, and leave their children there to die because they didn't want them anymore. Chariot races were much like our automobile races. Betting was common. Gladiatorial shows provided perhaps the most spectacular forms of entertainment. Gladiators might be slaves, criminals, captives, or even, yes, just everyday volunteers. Once a whole arena was flooded and a naval battle was staged... As many as 10,000 died in that single day of performances. Imagine going to some sporting event today and you're watching all the participants throughout the day down on the field. And by the end of the day, those participating would in all likelihood be dead. That's what they did. In fact, in that given day that I speak of, the sand throughout the day along the edges on the beaches had to be changed out multiple times because it was so drenched in human blood. At the same time, you had the Greeks, for example making phenomenal strides in education, in astronomy, in science, in mathematics, in philosophy, and in business. In some ways, it was a highly educated world in places and pockets. It was very sophisticated in pockets, and yet it was a very immoral and broken and pagan world. What does it make you think of? 2020, right? Our day to day. The fact of the matter is their world and the challenges that went with their world are much the same as what ours are today. In a culture like that, the mind was constantly bombarded with sights and sounds and images. And yet we know that the Christian is to be a light shining in the darkness. We're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're to walk worthy of the calling that we have. Folks, we have a great challenge indeed. It'd be so much easier just to sit back and blend in with everything that goes on. Well, all this begs the question how do we make a difference? How do we rise above our culture and surroundings? How can we be that aroma of life that Paul spoke of to the Corinthians? Well, we know in a very powerful way it starts with the mind. What do you dwell upon? What do you entertain with your thoughts? could you say that your thoughts are Christian thoughts? Paul says that we're to, we're to hold every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Now folks, that's a logical place to begin because somebody has well said, so a thought reap an action, so an action reap a habit, so a habit reap a character, so a character reap a, des- a destiny. Where the slippery slope so often begins, either for the good or the bad, is in our minds. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, we become what we give our thinking to. Now, as we look at our passage this morning, we see that not everything is worthy of our thoughts. We are to control our thought life. Paul says in this text here, think about these things. In other words, don't let your mind just wander aimlessly to things in the world. Don't shift your mind into neutral and go along with the tidewaters of the day change your thinking, control your thinking, think on those things that you know before the judgment seat of Christ one day, you would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. The first thing I want you to notice with me today is the importance of our thinking. The importance of our thinking. Paul will say, think on these things as I just mentioned. In other words, he's commanding careful thought for the child of God. And we're going to get around in a moment to what he meant by these things that he spells out. But before we do, I want you to stop and consider his command to think. He's, He's writing here in the imperative. Now what does society say? Society says, how does it make me feel? Society's driven by feelings, by emotions. Not everybody's stopping to ask, is it right or wrong? Does it glorify God? Is God pleased by this? But instead, people are, how does this make me feel? Do I like it or not like it? Does it appeal to me? If Johnny feels for the moment that he ought to instead be Jill... Society says, let him be Jill. Emotions and feelings become the guide. Society is driven by utilitarian purposes. In other words, does it work? But folks, we know that some very ungodly and unchristian patterns work. Does that mean they're right? No. We are to believe right and think right so that we will act right. Folks, it is no surprise that the the letters of the Apostle Paul don't typically begin with application. They don't begin with living. His letters begin with doctrine, with theology, with beliefs. And only after he's laid all of that out does he turn a corner in his letters and talk about how we are to live out that right doctrine. The writer of Hebrews does the very same thing. Paul says, think about these things. We're to dwell on certain things. He uses a word that is a form of the word logizomai, a mathematical term when he says think on these things, dwell on these things, he's saying analyze these things, dwell on them, give careful thought like you would to a, a, a science problem or a math problem, think about these things. Now before we get into those things, I want to I lay out some applications about the importance of our thinking. And then we're going to come back around to talk about the things individually he's speaking of here. But first of all, I want you to see, related to the importance of our thinking, we're called on in Scripture to think about the gospel and to arm ourselves against counterfeits. What's the false gospel? That you can save yourself or contribute to your salvation. This is the anniversary weekend of the Protestant Reformation. It was the period of time when the reformers were determined to help the church recapture the gospel and to recapture biblical thinking when it comes to justification in the sight of God. How is a man made right with God? That was what they were trying to recapture. Had it not been for the Protestant Reformation, churches you know it today would be very uh, different. The church in the Middle Ages sometimes is referred to as the, the Dark Ages. It was shrouded in spiritual darkness. And the scripture was not accessible to the common man because it was only available in Latin, which was a dead language. People went to church. They had no idea what was being said or preached and consequently they had to rely on what the popes and priests and bishops and cardinals told them. The people were told that heaven could be gained through buying indulgences and praying to saints. Bishoprics were for sale over entire regions to the highest bidder. Immorality was rampant among the clergy. Some bishops even encouraged priests to have a concubine, which was forbidden by church law. But the bishops told the priests if they would simply pay an annual tax or a fee, then this practice would be overlooked. It said that some of the convents around Rome were little more than brothels. In the fall of 1515, Luther began lecturing on the book of Romans. He ran into trouble almost immediately in Romans 1, 16 through 17, particularly verse 17. In the interest of time, let let me just say for Luther, the lights got turned on. He was converted and then he became quite angry at what the church had been teaching because again, people didn't have Bibles to read it for themselves. Another example, according to the church. According to the church, Christ and Mary and many of the saints lived such a a holy life that there was a treasury of merits stored up in heaven for the rest of us. Mary and Christ and the saints had left a spiritual savings account in heaven for you and me, there was leftover righteousness that you could have for the right price. When you died because you had sinned in your life, you would go to purgatory and, and suffer there until your sins had been completely paid for. I hope you can see the problem there. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished, He paid completely for our sins. And folks, you and I can't add anything to what he's done. Also, the Bible doesn't even teach a place called purgatory. But the church said purchasing an indulgence or through viewing relics of the church. Different churches were said to have relics. It might be they claim to have a twig off of the bush that burned that Moses saw. Or it might be some of the clippings of the beard of Jesus Christ. Or they would claim to have some of the breast milk of the Virgin Mary. And by going and viewing these relics and paying to see them, you could erase your time in purgatory or the time of your loved ones in purgatory. In fact, you could reduce the time by... A million and nine hundred and two thousand two hundred and two years and two hundred and seventy days. Almost two million years in purgatory. Don't you want to help your poor mother get out of purgatory? This was part of the sales pitch. And so the battle was on. A firebrand named Martin Luther, a very imperfect person, by the way, he'd become converted. Went against the church? I'm not going to go into details. That'd be a seminary course. My point this morning on this Reformation weekend is simply to illustrate how important it is to think about the gospel. What does God say in His Word of how a man or a woman is justified in the sight of God? When Luther and the Reformers started thinking correctly about Scripture and teaching people to think correctly about it, People were converted and history was literally changed. The Protestant Reformation has changed the Western world. That's, that's not an exaggeration. And so again, when we come to thinking about the gospel, we are to think correctly. I'd say also we're called on in Scripture to think in order to arm ourselves for spiritual battle. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 that we are to gird up the loins of our minds that was an imagery for being prepared mentally for the challenges of the Christian life we have ahead of us. They would wear long flowing robes, even the men. And to gird up meant that they would gather up that robe and they would tuck it into their waist to free their legs so they wouldn't trip over themselves. And so to gird up became an image for, for being prepared. And Peter says we're to gird up the loins of our minds. We're to engage ourselves in spiritual battles. Peter goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3 to say we're to be so prepared that, that we could give a defense to anybody who, when they ask us for the reason of the hope that we have. Could you and I sit down with somebody and explain the hope we have in Christ. Could we lay out the gospel? Could we defend the faith if, if they asked us difficult questions? Because people today are asking difficult questions. Are we prepared to give an answer? Again, you see how important thinking is? If we're going to reach this culture... A third application, we're called on in Scripture to think as an antidote to worry. This is certainly a more practical thing. Worry is close to home for all of us. We saw last week that we are to pray to combat worry. But did you realize that we are also to think in order to combat worry? Jesus said, consider the lilies of the valley. In other words, think. Jesus' point was, when we think about these things, when we think about how God cares for creation, how much more will He care for those who are created in His image? If God looks after the things in creation, He'll look after us. And so think, think about what God has done in creation for us as an antidote to worry. We're called on in Scripture to think as a means of renewal. Paul says in Romans 12, too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How does this renewal happen? By reprogramming our minds thinking on the Word of God. We've grown up thinking like the world because daily growing up we're bombarded with the messages of the world the opinions of the world, the convictions of the world and over time we're just naturally indoctrinated by some of this and the result of this Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are darkened in our thinking and in our understanding but when we get saved here we, are, here we have been filled with all of these years of worldly thinking, much of it un, unscriptural, but we get saved. And the scripture says we're to start thinking about the scripture. We're to start dwelling on the scripture. What scripture say about this? Because the world in scripture is different. The world says somebody hits you, hit them back. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. You don't like somebody? Just ignore them or hate them or have nothing to do with them. Don't speak to them. But Jesus said, be kind to your enemies. Do kind things to them for them. The Bible says, uh, the, the world says, look after yourself. The Bible says, as we've seen in Philippians, put God and others first. You see what I'm saying, folks, how different the the world and the Bible is? We've grown up thinking like the world, and we need to think on the Word of God. We need to reprogram our minds. God's given us His Word. A treasure of 66 books. Human authors writing from their own personality, but God looked over each one, inspired each one, so that what they wrote is the inspired and errant word of the living God. Every word, His inspired word. That's why today we even do booked, uh, Bible uh, word studies, because we believe that every word even is there for a purpose. It's not just the general thoughts, But every word is the inspired Word of God. And so that's why we give attention to the very words that are used in certain verses. Because it matters. But again, I'm saying all of this goes into our thinking how we are to change our thinking psalm 1 says blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers but he meditates on the word of god day and night and because of that he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season Over the past couple of years, I've had two men in our church. One, a senior adult man. One, just recently, in last week, as a matter of fact, a young man. A young man with a young family. He said, "Pastor, you've challenged us to read through the Bible every year and to think about what we're reading, to really read it, to study it." Both of these men have said, "Pastor, I, I want to tell you. I want to tell you, it has." transform my life. I had no idea how it would transform my life. Thank you, Pastor, for giving us that challenge. What are you thinking on? What are you giving your thoughts to? We're called on in Scripture to think as an avenue to peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. God is a God of peace. And as we keep our minds, our thinking on Him, we'll have peace because He will give us of Himself. And He is the God of peace. And so you see, we're to engage our minds our thinking for the glory of God. We're not to be casual about it. I mentioned 2 Corinthians 10, 5 a moment ago. Didn't give you the reference, but Paul says there, take every thought captive to Christ. Don't let your thoughts just drift. Give your thoughts to Christ. Think on these things. Now, secondly, this morning, let's look at the list that Paul gives us the objects of our thinking. We see here that we're to have elevated thoughts. And I, and I, and I can promise you, these things that he mentions here are not what the world around us is going to be thinking about this week. I, I can promise you that. But let's list out what he says here, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, and so we're to dwell. Our minds are to camp out on things that are true. Christians never have to be afraid of the truth. After all, God is a God of truth. We need to dwell on things in the world that are true. We need to renounce things that are false, things that are deceptive. We need to turn away from things that are lies. We need to remember that Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. We need to hold on to truth. We need to love truth. We need to seek truth. We need to tell the truth. And we need to live the truth. Amen? Dwelling on things that are true. That's what we're to give our minds to. He says next things that are honorable things that are honorable. This this word refers to things that are worthy of respect, things that have value. We need to realize, folks, that that life is short and we need to dwell on things that have value, that are honorable. We, We need to understand we're trading a day of our life to things. Don't trade a day of your life to that which has no value. Give your thinking and your Life to things that are honorable. One writer points out that this word means not giving your thoughts and your energies and your life to that which is trivial and merely temporal. We see people today in in the world spending their time and money and energy on things that are meaningless in the long run. Don't get to the end of your life, and that's the testimony of your life. No wonder Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven. Think about things that are honorable. He mentions things that are just. Things that are just. Expositor Albert Barnes notes that this word has to do with men's actions towards other men. Men are to be just and right in their dealings with one another. We're not to be cheats. We're to be just in all of our dealings with our neighbors, with our family members, with our fellow church members, with businessmen. We're to be just. Barnes talks about the damage that we do to God's kingdom. If men are around us all week in business... And they see us acting unjustly at work, cutting corners and doing wrong things. And then they go to church with you on the weekend and there you are singing praises to God. And they know that during the week you've been unjust in your dealings. It hurts the testimony of the church and your testimony obviously. Then Paul says things that are pure. We live in such an X-rated culture. What are your reading habits? What are your watching habits? Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Are you dwelling on things that are Pure. Think about that this week. As you view things and read things, is this pure? Is this pleasing to God? He goes on to say things that are lovely. The word refers to things that have an intrinsic beauty in them, a loveliness in them. There's a broad application. It can refer to a host of things in the world that, that the masses look to. And, and people just recognize in general that this is something lovely. This is something beautiful. This is something, something good. It might be something lovely in creation. It might be a, a piece of art. It, it's just something that lifts the spirits. Are we, are we thinking about things that are lovely? And then he mentions things that are commendable. Think on things that are commendable. What you're thinking about right now, what you're thinking about later today and this week, could you commend to others if it were put on a screen to be broadcast to everybody around you? Would you be able to say, look at what I'm thinking about. It's things that I could stand up publicly and, and commend to anybody and everybody. And I want you to notice how Paul sums all of this up. He doesn't suppose for a moment that he's given us an exhaustive laundry list of virtues. There wouldn't be enough paper to cover all that. And so he finally just wraps up and says, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Folks, as we look at verse 8 here, we see that it is to be like a filter through which all of our thoughts are to pass if there's something in your thought life that doesn't make it through the filter don't throw the filter away see that's what a lot of people do let me throw the filter away i don't like what it's exposing about me don't throw the filter away Throw the thought away if the thought can't live up to what is being said here. In verse 9, Paul does an astounding thing. He holds his own life up as an example. It's a reminder to us that, that we don't just say, listen to what I say, but not what I do. No, it all matters. Listen to what I say and and follow the pattern you see in my life. Be an example. Be a model to those around you. And notice the promise that he gives. The the reward is that the God of peace will be with you. Folks, this is even better than verse 7. Verse 7 told us about the peace of God, which is wonderful. Verse 9 tells us about the God of peace. In other words, you not only have... Peace from God but you have God himself and God is a God of peace amen and he says that's the reward of doing this folks I want to challenge you examine your thought life take these six virtues that he expands out to eight really but again even this is not exhaustive let these things be a filter But remember, your thought life is critical because you and I become what we give our thoughts to. You can't avoid that. You and I become what we constantly dwell on and think about. Again, the proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Make it your prayer today. Lord Jesus, be Lord over my thoughts. You are Lord. There's no denying that. Jesus, you are Lord. Be Lord over my thoughts. Help me to take every thought captive to Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I think of all the hatred in the world the lies the harmful words the immoral and pornographic images we're bombarded by all of this Lord as Christians help us not to be neutral and unengaged in our thinking. We need to change our thinking to where it pleases you so that our lives will be changed. Father, I pray that this is not just a message that we'll hear and leave this building and go home, but I pray that this week We'll actually use this as a filter. And we'll dwell on these things. And we will turn to your word and saturate our minds with your word. And it will hide your word in our hearts so that we may not sin against you, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Lord, you've given us your word for a purpose. It's not to entertain us. It's not simply to give us information. But it's to transform us. So may we dwell on it. May we think about it. May we meditate on it. Memorize it. Speak about it. Pray it. May each one of us ask ourselves daily this week, what's on my mind? What's on my mind? As the world's going to be engaged this week with everything they'll be engaged with in this election, what's on my mind? Am I rising above this? In Jesus' name we pray. As we go into a time of invitation, it may be that I'm speaking to somebody here this morning that's never surrendered your heart and life to Christ. And God's been convicting you about it. In fact, I may be talking to somebody you've had trouble sleeping lately. Because you're thinking about your eternity. God's had you thinking about the larger issues of your life. And you've been thinking about, are you right with him? How can you be right with him? And God's been drawing you to his son. I'd like to pray with you this morning. Kevin Knight's up at the sanctuary in case there are those up there who want to go forward and pray with him. Come to Christ today. But for those in the room who've already done that. Again, pray about verse 8 being a filter for your thought life. God, bring my attention back to this verse this week. Every time I get away from this and start thinking about all this mud that's being slung, all all the negativity, all the hatred, all all the stuff that's going on in the world. Lord, draw my thoughts back to what you tell me ought to be. Make that your prayer today. There may be somebody here that would say, you know what, I need a church home. I need to be a part of a fellowship of believers where we worship together, serve together, pray together. When there's needs in my life, there's somebody I can call on. When there's needs in their life, I'd like to reach out to them. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family. Again, I'll be here to pray with you. Would you stand, please?